be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our prayer of thanks and praise. Beloved, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership in our midst. And as the spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today in worship, we welcome again our friends of long-standing and visiting choir in Coro Novo under the fine leadership of Dr. Therese Provenzano. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand for our first hymn.
let us pray together. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted in the wilderness, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, whatever else we may think about the ancient myth of holy writ, apple, garden, serpent, all, we do readily recognize the distance between intention and outcome, desire and consequence, for it is our condition, our lived experience. You intend one thing, but in your saying and doing, another consequence arrives. You plan for one thing, and another happens. You long for knowledge, and the consequence is shame, wrote Faulkner. Ain't nothing worse than not being alive except shame. A biblical truth? An existential truth? or both. We come to worship to confess and so to be reclothed in our rightful mind. As the choir sings, may we offer our silent prayers this day. Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 32 with the Antiphon. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of great waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle. Many are the pangs of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, shall be 
please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. Over pasta last summer, a hot July night, six of us of long friendship ate and talked. Our dear friend has been for decades a committed lay reader in her summer church. She has taken pride in her work, praying and practicing for her lector role, recruiting others and helping in worship. With spaghetti and wine and the warmth of a long relationship, we nodded and supped together. But something had happened. The old pastor left, a new one came, and the new one was sadly rude and belligerent with his helpers, not just once, not just twice, not just thrice. Said she, what should I do? I love to read, and I love my lector team, but his behavior I cannot abide, and I will not. I have talked to him. He rebuffs me. If I stay, I endure and even collude in his misbehavior, but I will still have my voice in church and with the committee. If I leave, I exit from what I love and also leave behind any influence I might have to help support or protect others. I am loyal to my church, but I am ready to go. What should I do? Hours, days, and months are actually shot through with this form of dilemma in choice, exit, or leave. A famous study 40 years ago laid out for economists the dimensions of this dilemma, but such a condition goes well beyond the marketplace. Exit is as old as the exit from the Garden of Eden. Voice is as old as the dominical voice of Christ resisting temptation. Exit and voice, how do our scriptures help us frame such living choices. Our lessons from Holy Scripture this morning propound the moral and mortal limits of life in sin and death. As does every Sunday benediction, sung or spoken, Genesis 2, Romans 5, and Matthew 4 directly remind you your life is brief and messy. The ancient myth, beginning in the Garden of Paradise and moving to the east of Eden, entwines fragility and fragmentation existence and estrangement, sin and death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil provides the symbolic substance. The serpent provides the symbolic occasion. The fig leaves provide the symbolic covering of the entanglement of sin and death, shame and loss. The strange world of the Bible, not strange in the sense of odd or wrong, but strange in the sense of numinous, and monumental. It costs us today with a ringing reminder of suffering and death. The deep hard cold of a real old-time religion winter season like ours here in 2014 well befits our holy scriptures today. It is bracing to feel the full wind and cold of winter. We are thus reminded, perhaps even made mellow and melancholy, no bad thing by the stern, icy reminder of morality and mortality, sin and death. This Lent, we engage our conversation partner in preaching, the great Geneva Protestant reformer John Calvin, 1509-1564. We have found it helpful in this season to link our preaching here at Marsh Chapel, an historically Methodist pulpit, with voices from the related but distinct Reformed tradition, which has been so important over 400 years in New England. The Methodist tradition has emphasized human freedom, the Reformed divine freedom. 
In Lent each year, we have brought the two into some interaction, both harmonious and dissonant. It is fitting that we begin this morning with Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is a more Anglican chapter, if you will, representing the goodness of creation. 2 and 3 are more Calvinist, if you will, representing the fallen character of creation, known daily to you in sin, death, and the threat of meaninglessness. Both traditions, English and French, make space for both creation and fall, but the emphasis is different. One more garden, the other more serpent, one more creation, the other more fall. Our passage from Romans 5 gives us Paul's own apocalyptic rendering of the themes of sin and death. We should be careful to recognize that the words are the same here as in Genesis 2 and 3, but the meanings are different. For Paul, both sin and death are spheres of influence, orbs of control, dominions, principalities, and powers. Paul's apocalyptic worldview makes a changed use of the inherited terms from Genesis. Likewise, Paul's philosophical mode is quite different from the narrative structures in Genesis 2 and 3. The freedom found in Christ, Romans 5, smashes the controls of the orbs of sin and death for Paul. John Calvin writes about this passage, Romans 5, to sin is to be corrupt. Grace means the pure goodness of God, his unmerited love of which he has given us proof in Christ in order to relieve our misery. Like that wind you felt on the esplanade the other day, these sentences from Geneva in 1540 or so have their purposes. They posit that we are not in possession of, gra of grace as much as we are in need of grace. Grace is the gift of God sorely needed by the people of God. You know, 130,000 dead in Syria, a four-year-old pummeled to death in New England, a mother driving into the surf with her children in Daytona Beach, a Crimean invasion, an airplane lost, Construct your own list following a good reading of the Sunday newspaper. A cold, sober realism is found both in Romans 5 on Calvin's reading and in the daily reports of suffering near and far. Our passage from Matthew 4 connects with Adam and Christ along the trail of temptation from the Garden of Eden to the wilderness of Palestine. This gospel, Matthew's, a teacher's gospel, makes sure to begin with the harder news that even Christ himself was tempted to make improper use of freedom. In Calvin's view, every form of temptation comes with a divine purpose, a gracious protection, and a form of grace to be received, so he wrote of this passage. The temptations that strike us are not fortuitous or the turn of Satan's whim without God's permission, but that the Spirit of God presides in all our trials, that our faith may be the better tried. Beloved, how shall we use our human freedom faithfully this Lent, this year, in the light of the divine freedom known to us in Christ? Exit, or voice, or resignation. Fight, or flight, or play dead. 
Your roommate smokes for breakfast, drugs for lunch, drinks for dinner. Do you leave him, school, or both? Do you confront him, school, or both? Do you say, one of us is crazy and I think it's you? Or do you grin and bear it? Your faculty has taken a new direction that is a wrong turn. For well-intentioned reasons, they have exchanged birthright for pottage. Do you politic, agitate, criticize, and combat in what may be, well be a losing cause? Or do you call a friend who has wanted you to come to Brown or NYU for a long time anyway and prepare to exit? Or do you close your door, grade your papers, and play a little more golf? Your brother is about to marry the wrong woman. He is impressionable and she is impressive, an empress, if you will. Do you shout a warning and then risk never speaking to him again? Or do you reason, consult, have lunch, empathize, and appeal to the better angels of his nature? Or do you throw up your hands, send an early shower gift, and bite your tongue? You are a major world power. With limited success, you have partially pacified a resentful Middle Eastern nation. Now what? Do you exit stage left, leaving behind a decade of warfare, tens of thousands dead, tribal hatred still much in evidence, and hope for the best? Or do you stay, increase your footprint and military presence, give voice to the rights needs of children, women, non-Muslims, and others? Or do you practice a little benign neglect and put your energy into health care, immigration reform, nuclear disarmament, Chinese economics, and the next election? How much for exit? How much for voice? How much for flight? How much for fight? And then when do you just pull your turtle head back into the shell and play dead? 54 AD, Paul of Tarsus, the apostle to the Gentiles, in a verse with subterranean links to Genesis and Matthew, exit and voice, wrestled with the same angel demon. He wrote on one hand, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, Philippians 1.21. For once, Paul's own regular apocalyptic eschatology, the horizontal primitive hope of the day of the Lord, which he fully expects to see in his own lifetime, gives way to a simple vertical Greek, even Gnostic eschatology, an immediate translation to glory. Troubles, trouble in the churches it may be, spark Paul's momentary exit strategy, his longing to depart and be with the Lord. On the other hand, he considered, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That is, we could say, I am for you, so I should be with you. It is better for you that I am here. And we could add here to Raise my voice, lift my voice, write my letters, preach my gospel, have influence on the next generation. Paul longs for exit, Paul lives for voice. And you? How much for exit? How much for voice? How much for reforming exit? How much for institutional loyalty? How much for reformation? How much for counter-reformation? How much for pulpit? How much for table? How much discontinuity? How much continuity? How much new world? How much old world? On these spiritual balances hang 
the very cure of our souls. Needless to say, there is not an answer, no formulaic response, no one-size-fits-all, no ethical Procrustean bed. Another Pauline verse quickly beckons. Only let each one be fully convinced in his or her own mind. We could, in faith, this morning at least carry away from Lent one and our initial conversation with Calvin some shared understandings as people of faith. We understand that on a daily, if not hourly, basis we are choosing by the freedom of the will between exit and voice. To have voice means to have to stay. To exit means to give up voice. To exit may be your statement, your voice, within a certain context, but it is then probably your valediction, your swan song. On the other hand, your voice may be your exit, but it is then a prophetic utterance with all the continuing costs in, attested in the four greater and twelve lesser prophecies of our Hebrew scripture. Or you could just sit this one out, take a siesta. We understand, too, that most decisions involve some admixture, some balance, neither Webster only or Calhoun only, but the shadow of Henry Clay, the great compromiser. We understand that where we place our physical self, our body, where we place our standard on the field of battle, that is, our social location, makes a huge difference, starting with showing up for worship on Sunday here to speak with our neighbors, sing the hymns of faith, utter our prayers, and attend to the word. We understand, too, that whatever voice we lift, even the muted voice of silent witness, has a hearing, makes a difference, marks our faith, and influences the faith of others. Exit, voice, over 40 years in painful relationship to my beloved Methodist Church with others, I have struggled about exit and voice. Many of my friends and colleagues, students and companions have chosen exit one way or another. In some limited ways, I suppose I have too. These are faithful women and men making hard decisions. And I honor the cradle Methodist who chooses Episcopal orders the Methodist seminarian who reluctantly becomes a Congregationalist, the Gen X and millennial cohorts leaving us behind. I stay. I stay to raise my voice and to reject giving my orders, position, influence, and over time, multiple generations of pastoral leadership to an otherwise directed general church. I stay because I believe that over time, around the world, under the influence of a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe, the mighty scourge of homophobia will be, will be rejected by a body that in its singing voice and reasonable mind, in its spiritual bones, lives the gospel of freedom, grace, love, acceptance, kindness, and forgiveness. Over time, Methodists will not want to harm nine-year-old gay children. But this response 
is generational, multi-generational. It will take longer than my limited lifetime for this change fully to come. This response is global. It will require a change of heart over time in African Methodists and others. This response is gritty. It will mean underground railways to marry gays and deploy ordained gays. It will mean prayer and political love. It will mean, it will mean seasoned, genuine response in many settings, charge annual jurisdictional, global, intergalactic, and all conferences together. It will mean for you and me and others, hupomone, the Greek word for long-suffering, 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 hupomone, long-suffering. Beloved, take heart for the long journey, the daily exit from the green garden, and the hourly summons of the dominical voice, Take to heart Dag Hammarskjöld writing, God does not die on the day when we cease to believe in a personal deity, but we die on the day when our lives cease to be illumined by the steady radiance, renewed daily, of a wonder the source of which is beyond all reason. Exit or voice, you be the judge. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by the remaining seated standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. heart with all our minds and we hear the words let us pray to the Lord we shall all respond Lord have mercy for the peace from above for the loving kindness of God and for the salvation of our souls let us pray to the Lord Lord have mercy for the peace of the world for the welfare of the Holy Church of God 
and for the unity of all peoples. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all bishops, all clergy, all lay leaders and people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our president, for the leaders of the nations, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this city of Boston, for every city and community, and for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and the will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widow and orphans, and for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have died in the hope of resurrection, and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the absolution and remission of our sins and offenses, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Defend us, deliver us, and in your compassion protect us, O Lord. And in the communion of all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We're delighted to join in worship with you this morning, and uh, we would love to be able to greet you by name following the service and to help you greet one another by name. Um, to facilitate this, please add your name to the red book in the center aisles of each pew and pass it along to your neighbor. While many of our weekly activities are suspended uh, as the university is on spring break, I did want to highlight two programs this week. First, um, while Miss Jamie Dingus is away, our children's education continues this week with two guest teachers this morning as we begin the Lenten season. So please join Soren and Jen, that's me, during the last, the last hymn for children's education. And second, our ministry associate, Mario Melendez, is hosting a midweek gathering for students and community members here over break. Join him in the Thurman Room on Wednesday at 6 p.m. for sci-fi movies, dinner, and games. During this season of Lent, we encourage you to renew or begin for the first time a discipline of generous giving or tithing. And we again welcome in Coro Novo and their conductor, Dr. Provenzano. And as our ushers wait upon us for our offerings, I invite you to meditate upon their musical offering for us, John the Revelator.
Holy God, we offer these gifts and pray that they may be used according to your will. Renew our hearts with the right spirit so we may go into the world giving in a more excellent way, giving a listening ear, a gentle touch, and encouraging words. In the name of the free gift of grace and righteousness, Jesus Christ, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Amen.